Hello, my name is Anthony, and this is my podcast, Theologizing Life, where we talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live. Hello, welcome to Theologizing Life, where we talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live. Uh, today, uh, I have the opportunity to interview Jared Ambrose. And uh, Jared, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Anthony. It's great to be here. So we're going to talk a, a little bit. Uh, we'll hear, of course, a little bit about Jared's story, but we're going to dive into one of the things he's passionate about. We're going to talk about uh, money. But before we get into that, uh, I always like to ask guests to tell us a little bit about themselves, to tell us a little bit about their story. And, and sort of my phrase has been, who is Jared in a nutshell? Uh, so to keep this in a nutshell, um, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Jody, almost five years. We have a daughter and I'm a teacher. So um, I, I've i always had a passion for just wanting to have an impact in young people's lives. And so teaching has kind of been my outlet. Um, I teach business at the high school I'm at, Columbia City High School in Indiana. I have to say... Like the thing I love most about teaching business is the flip side of kind of what we're going to talk about today is getting the chance to educate teens on things they don't really know about or open their horizons to different ideas and concepts, whether it's about careers, money, to a certain extent, just almost anything. Um, but for the most part, mostly careers and options after high school and, and personal finance. Yeah, that's huge because um managing money it, it it's it shapes all of our lives uh th there's few things in our lives that are pretty uh commonly experienced by everyone and uh sort of managing money is one of those things and um, i'm sure it's also huge to have those moments where kids have new possibilities or opportunities presented to them that they maybe never thought of or never thought possible um yeah. How, how long have you been a, a dad also held your daughter again? Yeah. So she's 19, almost 20 months. So a little bit over a year and a half. So that, that's been, that's been great for, for Jody and I. It's, uh, it's been a real, a real joy. Uh, it's one of the things that we kind of prayed about just the opportunity to be parents and feels like we were just doing that yesterday. And here we are with you know, a little, little kid that's a year and a half old. So say so it's, it, it's awesome. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Parker, right? Yeah. Parker. Yeah. That's yeah. her name. Um, we have some mutual friends who's, uh, they have a, a daughter named Peyton and I was afraid I was going to, uh, mix oh, it up. Right. Because <laughs> yes. they were born around the same time too. So your daughter's a little younger than my daughter. Uh, it's, it's fun stuff. Uh, being a dad, it's challenging, but it's fun. So I've known you for a little while now, and one of the things I've uh, noticed that you are passionate about is just money, but not in the, not like the greedy, sinful sort of way, um, but you're passionate about good stewardship and wise choices. And uh, you're, you were a business major in college and now a business teacher. Uh, so before we dive into some of the nitty gritty of this, where when or where, how did your interest in that financial stewardship and in business, uh, when did that surface in your story? What sort of inspired uh, your passion surrounding these things? In high school, my mom and I, we went to our church was hosting a financial peace university, Dave Ramsey class. And so my mom's a single parent. And so I went with her. I think I was probably a, a junior. I could have been a senior, but sitting through that for, I think it's probably changed since then, but I think it was maybe eight sessions, eight, eight, uh, eight class sessions. Sitting through that really opened my eyes to how to handle your money. And, um, you know, at that time I had no idea who Dave Ramsey was. So this would have been, yeah, probably around 10, 11 years ago. And just listening to, listening to what, you know, he communicated through through Financial Peace University, really opened my eyes to the idea of, wow, like I, 
these misconceptions, you know, for, you know, the, the myth that everybody has a car payment, you always have a car payment. I mean, I thought that like, I never, it never once came into my brain that you can pay cash for a car. Not that I didn't think you could, it was just, well, I've never thought about it because you don't ever see advertisements for it. You don't ever hear anybody talk about, oh yeah, I went and paid cash for a car today. Um, you know, that credit cards are normal, that and to a certain extent, debt normal, even student loans normal at that time. I wasn't really exposed to a whole lot of personal finance information up until Financial Peace University. But, you know, realizing that, man, if I have these same misconceptions, clearly almost unless you're exposed to these ideas, most people probably have these same misconceptions as well. And that's when I, I just got on this, this, you know, this fire inspiration of, all right, like I want to help people live a life of financial freedom of financial peace, as he calls it. And that's sort of where that fire was ignited. And, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And there's a lot about personal finance that most people don't really know. Yeah. And it's one of those things too, that I've come to find out through just having conversations with people and just growing as a human being, a lifelong learner. You know, when you're younger, you think, oh, I'm going to educate all these people about it. And you have these conversations with people and like, I'm going to change your mind because like this idea that debt is dumb, you should never be in debt is a, I mean, how can you, how can you disagree with that? And I quickly realized that, you know, I think Dave calls it powdered butt syndrome, where, you know, people, if they've powdered your butt, they don't want your opinion about certain things. And I quickly realized that that is a real thing. And whether it was with family members or, um, you know, some people here and there, friends, whatever, um, you know, I, I quickly realized that not personal finance is one of those topics that people don't really want your opinion about if you're not maybe a professional or even, even if you are, they don't want your, your they don't want your opinion unless they ask for it, I guess. Mm, yeah. And so I've, I've quickly learned over the years that like, I'm not going to push my belief about personal finance on anybody unless they, they ask me or it comes up and they ask for my opinion. So that's been a learning curve for me over the years. Um, obviously if anybody listens to Dave, you know, that that's not how he is, but I'm not Dave. So being a, a 28 year old, uh, person, not a lot of people want to listen to what I have to say yet. So kind of yeah. veered off the qu your question there a little bit, but yeah, that's sort of yeah. what inspired my passion. Yeah. Well, I can, I can relate to that. Sometimes it, as a pastor in ministry, you feel like you're going to, um, change, change everyone's minds and, and change the world. And, and it does happen, but it's, it's similar. Um, people sort of have to give you the permission and the authority to speak things into their life. And, and they also have to have the sort of frame of be in the frame of mind that they're able to be receptive to it. Um, did, did your kind of, uh, inspiration or passion about like the financial peace part, did this correspond to your college major, you know, the business major piece, or was there already, you know, were you already in high school? Like I'm, I'm going to go study business. And when I go to college, was there any connection there between the two? No, it didn't at that time. And, you know, going back to what I said earlier about, um, you know, people not wanting your what they think they know about personal finance, they they think they know everything or that their situation is different. And unfortunately, I was kind of the same way. Um, you know, after FPU, I mean, I, well, yeah, if I was a junior or senior, I would have been going to college shortly after that. And um, yeah, I majored in business education, but it didn't really impact me in college that much, which is sad because I'd say my passion didn't really start to fully get ignited at, until after college, um, which is sad. And that's on me for um, making decisions I made for taking out student loans. I mean, I'm, I'm responsible for that. But I wish it would have because I'm so much more passionate about learning about finance than I was in college. I, I mean, looking back at it, I, if I could change anything, I guess I would have wished I would have explored adding a finance major on my degree. Not that I would be in finance, but I like learning about it a lot more than what I did. So and I think that's just, 
you know, growth as a human. I mean, being a lifelong learner, we, we, we grow as we get older and we develop different perceptions or, you know, whatever. So, you know, it really didn't impact me that much because, like I said, I still went to college and took out student loans, which I shouldn't have done. I wasn't really thinking about the cost. It was everybody else is doing it. So I'm going to do it. And at that time, Dave didn't really talk a whole lot about student loans. So about 10 years ago, I mean, it's definitely a huge topic now. But in his FPU, there wasn't really much about student loans back then that he talked about um, like he does now. So which I'm not making an excuse for myself by any means, but. Not that kind of answers your question there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've we've talked a little bit about the Dave Ramsey, and I know you've at least once, if not a couple times, you've you've led or facilitated the course, um, Financial Peace University, and um, you know without not so much like plagiarizing, but like just what could you condense uh, what some of the principles you learned from it, and and especially those that you applied to your, you know, to your own life? Um, what principles did you learn uh, that you could, you could share and, and that you applied? Yeah. So um, yeah, I've led, I think I've led two FPU classes. Yeah. I've led two FPU classes when I, shortly after graduating high uh, college. <clears throat> um, but the, the principles, I mean, if anybody knows Dave Rams, you're probably familiar with the seven baby steps. So you know, the first step is you save a thousand dollars for an emergency fund, start an emergency fund, and then you get out of debt as fast as you can. And then you get a three to six month emergency fund, three to six months of your expenses. And then you start investing 15% of your income into good growth stock mutual funds. And then baby step five is you save for your kid's college fund. Baby step six is pay, pay off the mortgage early. And then baby step seven is give like no one else. So I mean, those are pretty much the, the main principles. Um, you know, my wife and I, we were currently on baby step two. We sort of put a pause, not necessarily a pause on baby step two last summer, but with having a kid, we both had two two door cars. And so we wanted something um, a little bit bigger to, um, so we didn't have to, you know, crawl into the back to have a two door car to, for car seats and whatnot. So we saved up money we were we were able to buy sort of a little bit of a smaller suv four-door vehicle and and then we started you know getting back on baby step two so you know we do our best um we don't have any credit card debt we don't we did have a little bit i think like maybe a little bit under a thousand when we started getting on baby step two but we don't use credit cards anymore um I mean, those are pretty much kind of the two main principles that, that we use. We, 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 we're not perfect, but we do our best to do a budget where, again, we're not perfect. That's something that is just slowly, we're slowly getting better at every month. Um, so I'd say those are the principles that, that we try to apply current currently. Yeah. Yeah. Those baby steps are, are helpful. And I think, um, especially early on, like anyone who's a younger married couple, one of the big things that was helpful for us was the the idea of just a thousand dollars in an emergency fund. Um, this yeah, is just I can't huge. Tell you how many times that has saved us? Um, I mean, we, we were saving up for our vehicle. We had, and I say it comes in threes, but we had our, our dryer go out. So we had to buy a new dryer, which thankfully we, we had an emergency fund. So we were able to pay cash for that. Our, I don't know if you want to count this as like a big, like you needed to fix this, but like our TV went out, which wasn't a huge expense, but you know, we had to replace our TV and then our water heater went out, which was, I can't, I'm trying to remember how much, I mean, that, that was close to a thousand bucks to fix. So, I mean, you know, that, that right there is the, the emergency fund is huge. Dave does a, he does an, this analogy of, um, Murphy, Murphy's law, if something bad can happen, it will happen. And, you know, there's this little analogy of, you know, Murphy goes around different houses and knocks on the door and, oh, do you have an emergency fund? Okay, I'll leave you alone. You don't have an emergency fund or I'm going to come in here and wreak havoc. And yeah. honestly, I mean, it sort of feels that way a little bit. You know, the the longer that we've had an emergency fund, you don't really think about all the times that something bad's happened because financially it doesn't really hurt you because you have the cash to, to pay it. So yep. that, that part is, is just huge having that emergency fund. Yep. We've, we've been there too, you know, washer, dryer, 
uh, different, different things and, and having the emergency fund was, was huge. And, um, it's, it's a bummer because I like to build on the emergency fund, have savings. So it still, it still sucks to watch a thousand dollars or something, or even $500, you know, have to pay, but it's a lot less weight than having to like put something on a credit card that you can't pay off. And then, you know, most credit cards carry like 20% plus interest. And so, um, it is huge, the emergency fund. Um, yeah, what, what five, and, and you could borrow from Dave Ramsey or just even some, uh, some Jared Ambrose, uh, principles or tips, if you have some that you want to, uh, you know, take credit for, but what, what five financial tips or principles or steps would you share with someone who is wanting to steward their money? Well, um, and maybe if, um, I know some people maybe disagree with Dave Ramsey on some different points, but are there mm-hmm. some five, maybe five tips that transcend most, even things people would disagree about? Like these are, these are pretty foundational tips or principles? Yeah. I think number one is you have to do a budget. And, Mm. you know, I still like my wife and I, we're not perfect at it, but sitting down looking at every month to at least plan where it's going to go and see like, all right, we're going to be okay this month. I think that's huge. You got, you have to, you know, do a budget. You you know, you can't be like Congress and, and, uh, you know, just spend more than, than what you make. Um, And I think, you know, another one would be having an emergency fund, I think is, is huge. And when you have that safety net, especially if you're married, I feel it gives your spouse such another, well, it depends if your spouse, it, it depends on the, the the personality of your spouse. It gives my wife security, knowing that there's a safety net there if something bad happens. And I'm sure in some marriages, it's flip-flop that, you know, it's the male or the husband that needs that security and that safety net that gives them such a good sense of security that if something does, but if something bad happens, the money's there. So I think getting an emergency fund is, is huge because that's what just gets people. Like you said, oh, your dryer goes out and then your water heater goes out and then you got to fix the brakes on your car. Well, that can add up to three, four, five thousand $5,000 pretty quickly, depending on you know, how expensive it can be. And then if you put that on a credit card, then, you know, at 20% interest rate, and that's going to take you, if, I mean, if you make the minimum payments, that's going to take you years and years to pay off if you were to plug that into a calculator. Um, you know, we don't do this yet because we're not out of debt yet, but investing in mutual funds, I think is another one. Um, I'm not, a fan of single stocks. Like I know like right now AMC is going through the roof and it's been interesting to kind of just a incorporate that into my classroom a little bit too, with the GameStop way back in February. <laughs> but you know, I had a friend, I have a friend, really close friend that has made a lot of money in AMC and it's like, dang, if I would have got into that a month ago, but at the same time, you know, that, you know, that can just go down tomorrow and you can lose a ton of money in it. And, you know, and again, I'm trying to stay away from Dave's principles, but you know, Dave says 12% can be an average return on mutual funds. And the few times I've brought that up to people, I always get, oh, you can't do that. And um, one of the people that my mom invests through, that is one of um, Dave Ramsey's endorsed local providers. I asked him for one of the portfolios that they use because he said, yeah, that 12% is really like we. That that's a good number. And so I'm not gonna say what any of these funds are, but just to to give an example, like one of these funds here, one of these mutual funds, like over the course of since 2017, I mean it's had a 74% since since 2017. Well, you know, that's obviously more than 12% over the course of, you know, that's again, that that's four years. I think this year it's done. I'm looking at it. It's done 42%. Uh, another, and I'm not, I was to look at one more here. If I put in the, put in the, the ticker, let me see here. You know, that one since 20, this one's been in existence since 2012 and it's done since 2012, 189 total percent. So that's not even, that's nine years. So that's over 18% return. Um, and so 
I think investing in mutual funds is huge. That's way more guaranteed than a single stock is going to be. I mean, obviously, if you're just playing around, you're playing around with single stocks. But I think investing in mutual funds is key. That's probably the step that I'm looking forward to most is when we're able to put in 15% of our income into good growth stock mutual funds. Uh, a couple other principles. You know, I think staying away from debt is is just huge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to argue, sit there and argue with somebody that that says, you know, credit cards are okay. That's fine. I think as long as you pay them off every month, you know, do, do what you want. If if you like getting the 1% or the miles, hey, that's fine. As long as you pay them off every month. But if, you know, people that, oh, they're fine, even if you don't pay them off every month, like, I don't disagree with that because now you're just losing money. Um, so, yeah, I think staying away from credit cards or just any type of debt in general is huge. I mean, the more you can keep your income to you versus going to the banks is huge. And then the fifth one, I think doing a 15-year mortgage is also huge. Um, you know, just looking at the, the numbers kind of blew me away the first time I looked at the example of the 30-year to 15-year. It's also, it's crazy. And I, and I can attest this because my wife and I, we just refinanced. Like this is a great example of look, I, I knew the, the the benefit of going from a of doing a 15 versus a 30, but when we first bought our home, we did a 30 because that's all we really could afford. And I knew that 15 was better, but that's all we could afford. And I'm like, well, we can refinance in a couple of years. Um and so I don't want anybody to think that I'm I'm perfect by any means. I mean, I'm I'm human just like everybody else. But uh year earlier this year we, we refinanced and we were able to put it in position that paid off um, close to 15 years. And so that was huge for us to be able to get to that. Um, so, yeah, I think those would be my five principles, you know, do, uh, do a budget, invest in mutual funds, get an emergency fund, stay away from debt. And w- if you ever get a mortgage, do a 15 year instead of a 30. Um, I think that's great. And uh, if, you actually i'll just share my opinion you can you can push back or or uh, affirm whatever but i think some of these if if for someone they seem not attainable or at least right now like maybe the 15 year mortgage or the the 15% in mutual funds um one thing is uh you could start you could even baby step the baby step if you will so like maybe put 5% in mutual funds or whatever. That's one way to do that. But I would encourage uh, the top, like from your five, if I were to say three that most people could, could work towards doing one is establish a budget Uh, from a pastoral perspective. This is really helpful for couples because one of the things that causes tension in marriage uh, actually, you know, some of the top two would be finances and communication. Well, <laughs> making a budget sort of helps, uh, not no marriage is perfect, but it helps sort of um, preemptively address those financial tensions and sometimes communication tensions because the budget's about you and your spouse communicating. So a budget, the emergency fund. And again, if you can't have a thousand dollars in emergency fund, maybe start out with 500. Um, but having that is huge. And then staying away from debt as much as you can. And sometimes, you know, when you start making the effort to, to follow these things, you, you already have debt. Like we have student loans, but one of the things we're a believer in is um, apart from our student loans and mortgage, uh, you know, we don't have a car payment. We don't carry credit card debt. We don't like, I don't know, uh, finance a piece of furniture we want or uh, an improvement to the house, whatever we try to pay, pay cash. Um, we do have credit cards, but I try to, uh, uh, we man, one year, I think we made like $500 because they gave us these, like, you know, spend this much in the first three months and you'll get $200. And we're yeah. like, well, we're going to need to spend that much on this. And we have it in the, you know, in the bank. And then mm-hmm. I also uh, have a cash back one and I have like $500 worth of cash back points and I treat it like a savings, kind of like a savings account. Um, but again, I, I use that for things that we are going to, like I pay it off 
like every other week, like not even monthly. Like sometimes I just, I keep it, maintain the paying it off. Um, so yeah, going, you miss a payment a month and that insurance for credit cards is super dangerous. So I'm actually, uh, I guess I don't follow Dave Ramsey hundred percent, but I'm actually, uh, a believer that it it's it is like playing with fire. So if you're not yeah. real disciplined, um, it's probably best not to have a credit card. But um, yeah, I don't know what what do you say about I just I just sort of went on my own talk show rant there. What do, what do you? Uh, no, yeah, it's it's your show. No, I, right. And if I had to pick three, I'd say I'd probably I probably would pick those three. Um, if I was talking to a a younger person, you know one of my high school students, you know, I, I would add, you know, I would add there, you know, stay away from student loans. And that's yeah. a whole nother, whole nother conversation. But yeah, the, like you said, you know, if you can't do a thousand, then work up to 500. Cause that, and that, that's a win. And again, they're called baby steps for a reason, because they're supposed to be small steps. Like as long as you keep moving forward, like you're good. I mean, if you just stare and look at the top of Mount Everest and think, how am I going to get to the top? Like you're never going to get there. You have to look right in front of you. You have to look right in front of you and take it one step at a time, little by little. So yeah, hundred percent. I agree with what you said about the budget really being a key communication piece with your marriage. I mean, Jody and I know where our money's going together. You know, we, we have a you know, our, our bank accounts are, are together. We don't have a separate bank account, yeah. you know, which could be a whole other conversation for people, but that really helps us stay on the same page financially. And I don't know if it's the number one. Um, it, um, if it's not number one, I bet you it's number two, but I'm pretty sure like money fights, money disagreements are at the very top of the reasons why um, married couples get divorced. And so if you can be on the same page financially, I mean, you're, your your marriage is more than likely to succeed than if you're not on the same page financially. Yeah, yeah. So, Jared, you're a you're a Jesus follower, correct? And um, I'm I'm curious. So, part of this podcast is called Theologizing Life, and and part of it is just sort of like, okay, how does um the, you know the academic term theology, but a more simple way, you know, what we think about God, how does that influence our lives. And I, I, I've tried to discuss various topics on the show. And, um, so when it comes to money for you, how does your faith and desire to follow Jesus, how does this shape your view, your approach, your use mm. of money? It's a great question. I think it's definitely, I think giving is probably the the biggest, um, it's probably been the biggest uh, influence on shaping how I view money with Jesus. I mean, Jesus obviously was in the greatest giver of all time, but you know, there's and I and I can't pull these out of my out of my hat. But there's so many spots in Scripture where he talks about giving, and you know, the parable of of the the woman who I think only gave. I can't remember the amount, but just a coin and versus all the other people that gave bags and bags of money. And he said that she gave the, the, the most or however that's worded. And just the idea that it's not meant to just hoard to yourself, but it's, it's meant to be used as a tool. And even the parable of the tenants, um, if I'm saying that right, the, the, the three yeah. um, tenants who, you know, had a portion of, of talents. And, you know, if you just, if you don't do anything with your money and, and I honestly, like I view that as how we handle money is it can, can be a talent. And if we just waste it away and we spend it on, you know, these meaningless material things that we can't take with us, I mean, then we're not using it to further his kingdom. So Definitely, you know, giving is a huge piece and being able to want to manage what he's given me the opportunity to manage financially. I think, and this is another great piece. I think it's from Anthony O'Neill. 
one of Dave Ramsey's personalities. I think he 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 said or I whatever. I guess it doesn't really matter. But I heard somewhere that God's not going to give you a million dollars until you can handle a hundred thousand dollars. He's not going to give you a hundred thousand dollars until you prove that you can manage a thousand dollars. He's not going to give you a thousand dollars until you've proven you can manage five hundred dollars. And so, you're not saying that. Jody and I are perfect at budgeting that God's just going to hand us a million dollars by any means, but whether it's through opportunities or whatever it might be, but just using the talent that he's given us to, right? You have this knowledge, this tool of, of how you can manage your money, you know, use, I mean, the, the word says it's a proverb. I couldn't tell you where it's at in the book of Proverbs, but the borrower is slave to the lender. And that directly relates to finance. I mean, if you're constantly, you know, in constantly in debt, then your income is constantly going to somebody else. And you're not being able to use that as much as what you could be for God's, for, for his kingdom and to further his kingdom. So I hope, I hope that answers yeah. um, your question. But Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, the offering you were talking about is the, it's the widow's offering and it's found in Mark 12. I looked it up here, uh, 41 through 44. And um, then the proverb is 22, seven, just for anyone who, who might want to know those kind of references. But I think, yeah, I think that's, that's huge. The, the idea, I think why being a Jesus follower shapes us so much is so much of the call to follow Jesus is counterintuitive. Like, love your enemies and forgive people who've hurt you rather than, you know, hate your enemies and get even with people who've hurt you. It's this sort of upside down way. And so is this idea of giving in terms of managing wealth, this idea that um, being generous and giving your money away, it's not a loss, but actually there's this, uh, you know, scripture talks about it being more blessed to give than receive. um, Mm -hmm. I think is, is huge. And the idea that it's not to hoard. Um, God doesn't bless us. We're, we're blessed to be a blessing. And I think also another sort of theological piece I would add is like um, part of our, part of our purpose in is, is to reflect that we're created in the image of God. So it's to reflect the image of God. And the first sort of command was to be fruitful and multiply. And, um, it's part of our image bearing, I think, purpose and call as, as humans to reflect the creative, life-giving, multiplying, fruitful uh, character of God. And that isn't just with like, you know, making babies. <laughs> like, I think we're to be fruitful and, and life-giving in all that we do, including how we manage money. And so um, how we steward that would be maybe another word, how we um, manage what God has, as you said, what God's given to us, it, it needs to be as Jesus followers, we need to seek to do it in life-giving fruitful ways that bless others and um, benefit the kingdom. Well said. Um, so there, and it's hard because some of those ways that do benefit the kingdom are counterintuitive, especially generosity piece. Um, we all have our, like life happens to all of us. So it, it makes more sense to look out for myself, you know, to not give Mm -hmm. money to this, to the church or to, um, this organization or to even this person, um, who needs it when I got to fix my, or I want to upgrade my kitchen or whatever, like, but, um, but it is, I mean, I found it in my own life. Generosity is life-giving. Um, so there's quite a few warnings also in scripture, uh, about the danger of money. And I think sometimes this is what maybe it's, it's sort of like other topics in the church. Sometimes it's, it's, we talk about like what's bad about something. And so people just sort of condemn the whole thing. Like, um, sometimes when I was younger, there's this idea that like, you know, sex was bad. Um, and, and it wasn't talked about as much where the, uh, where it was good, what context it was good. I think money is one of those is that sometimes people's impression of the church is that um, it's just, you know, well, there's sometimes they think either the church is greedy and they just want your money, or there's this idea that like money is evil. Um, And 
a lot of people misquote where they get it from is first Timothy six ten. This is the one I think is often misquoted. Um, they say that money is the root of all evil. Um, but what Paul actually writes to Timothy is that the love of money is the root of all evil. Um, I would say money is amoral, but it can compromise or compete with our affections that should be directed towards God. Um, in your words, so we're not condemning money as being evil. That's not what we're saying right. here. Um, but how would you maybe articulate the dangers or perils of money management and wealth accruement? Like what, what, what dangers would you say? And maybe even if you want to get personal, like what are the dangers sure. of the love of money? And then how do you guard against these dangers? So for myself, it's really, you know, growing up in a single parent household, you know, we weren't, my mom and I, you know, we weren't poor, but we weren't the most, uh, wealthy people in the small town that, that I grew up in. And so for me now having my own income and having sort of the knowledge that I have and being able to sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel of being out of debt, I think about all my family for all the things that my wife and I, my, that I can do for my family. Um, and you think it's, it's very easy for my mind to then go in places of, oh man, I can't wait to be able to have maybe a car like that yeah. or mean to be able to have a, a home on a lakefront. That's like a, a, a vacation home or to be able to do this and do this and do this. And it, it is, it's, it's very tempting. I mean, it, I, I catch myself some thinking like, oh, we're almost there. We're getting there. The lights in the tunnel and then we'll be able to do all these things. And I catch myself thinking, wait a second, Nowhere in my mind there did I just think about, you know, nowhere was the priority in my mind giving at that moment. No, nowhere was the priority in my mind, you know, furthering the kingdom of God with that. It was Satan getting me to be distracted about material things that I can't take away that, you know, only in a sense pushed me away from the kingdom of God. And what he wants me to do with his money. So I think just that reminder that everything's not permanent. And that's why giving is important. Like you just, I mean, you said it, it's, you know, the, the word says there's greater joy in, I'm not quoting it, but there's greater joy in giving than receiving. And you talked about money is amoral, just like a brick is amoral. A brick can be used to build a homeless shelter, a, a food, a food bank, a multi, you know, multitudinous things. But then a brick can also be used to destroy a building. It can also be used to hurt somebody or hurt someone or something. Yeah. That's the same thing with money. I mean, money can be used to money's like, uh, it's like manure. If you leave it sit in one place, it's going to stink and it's going to smell and no one wants to go near it. But if you spread it out, it can do wondrous things. It can do amazing things. And so that's the constant reminder. I have to, I have to remind myself when I get in those moments of, of thinking about, man, where we could be in 5, 10, 15, 20 plus years. Um, and, and being able to then use this knowledge to about money, personal finance, to then teach you know, at this point currently our daughter about how to manage money so that she's in a position to then understand that this is a tool that we can use to further the, the kingdom of God, to make a difference in somebody's life. The, it's not to, you know, provide fun for me. I mean, although it can, but the primary goal, the prim, the primary, primary, the, the main goal, the main goal is to use this to further God's kingdom and to show his love and not to keep it to ourselves. So, um, I, you know, Dave has a great saying, live like, you know, you need to live like someone else so that later you can give like no one else. And that's just kind of the reminder that I have to remind myself with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think most of us, if, you know, I think most humans would have to admit that there is this temptation um, 
and you didn't say this, but I think for me, and maybe you can identify, I don't know, but I think for me, there's, there's an easy temptation to sort of put a lot of confidence in money and to drift from depending for God, um, depending on God. I mean, I love, you know, the, the Lord's prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. And in to Jesus's audience, he would have been speaking to, that was a very real prayer. Like sometimes like, uh, a majority of, of the world was, was not um, necessarily well off. And so like today's daily bread was a very real need. Well, now we have uh, literally right now bread in the pantry. Um, so depending on God for like my daily bread is, is not something that comes naturally. It's actually more natural to depend on what's in the reserves. What's And so I think that's one temptation is to, sort of misplace my trust, but I also resonate with what you said about, um, and it's hard and, and we could, we could talk here and love your thoughts on this too, but it's hard because, um, God does bless us. And I don't think it's wrong to enjoy good gifts of God, but then there's also this like drift in my own heart where it begins to go from enjoying God's blessing to coveting luxury um, is maybe how I'd say it. And I remember one day, um, it only took me parking in a spot in the grocery store. And I was confronted with the temptation to compare my car to the one, a couple spots over. It's like, it's like the world we live in that we we have this constant, uh, especially on social media sometimes too, like there's this constant, um, opportunity to compare what you have to what someone else has. And, um, there's a lot of perils, I think in that comparison, but, um, yeah, anyways, uh, the, to, to maybe wrap it in a question, how do you wrestle with like God in scripture does bless his people. And there are some uh, biblical characters who are quite wealthy for their time and context, but yet he does call us to be generous and not hoard it to ourselves. And, and even I would say not to pursue, extravagant living at the expense of others like how do you have you wrestled through that tension does that make sense oh yeah i mean you know even just growing up and even now oh man i know these people that have this and that have this and yeah i mean it definitely it's and it's hard because you know it's just a you know satan's such a great distractor deceiver at getting us to, you know, you know, what is it? Uh, comparison is the thief of joy. And, you know, that's, that's something that I've, I've really grown in quite a bit is learning to be content where we're at. Yeah. And, you know, like I said earlier, I still catch myself. Oh man, one of these days I'll, I'll have a house like that. Or I hope to have a house like that. And it's, well, wait a second. Like, just be content where you're at. Because like you said, and I 100% agree with this and I struggle with this too, is money being the safety net versus, wait a second, God should be my safety net. Versus relying on money to be there financially if something happens. Like, no, I need to trust in God about that. And, you know, that is something that as you say, I'm like, man, I've been doing that quite a lot recently. I'm thinking, we're okay. If something happens, we got the money in savings right now to, to cover, to cover that if something happens. And it's, again, it's a, well, that's, that's wrong. Like it, it should be a, no, like we're going to be okay because God's knows what's going to happen and he's going to take care of us. Cause that's what his word says. And that's, that's what he promises. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I sort of, I sort of got a little wordy there and wrapped a lot of questions i think um what what are your what are your thoughts on like so is it is it necessarily inherently wrong for you to have one day a vacation home um uh or or could it be could you have the vacation home and still be generous and managing your money in a way that benefits the kingdom um, cause I think there's this temptation, uh, we're very either or sometimes minded, but, um, I, am not sure it's always that simple. Like, it, it, I don't know that it would be wrong 
I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? Is it wrong for you one day to have the vacation home because you should actually give that money uh, away? Um, or can you enjoy God's blessing and still be, you know, living for the kingdom? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, that's a, that's a great question. I'm sure, uh, you know, you can, uh, probably not using the right word, but the theologize whatever about that for a very long time. Yeah. But I, I would say no, but the, the condition would be like, we, like we just talked about where, when you have that vacation home, when you go there, are you relaxing because you're on vacation? Or are you relaxing because you're resting in God's presence? Mm-hmm. And, and, and maybe that's, maybe I'm wrong in saying that, but, no, because I don't think so. I think it's, you know, wh- where's your heart lie? Yeah. Where is your heart? Like, is your heart, you know, do you value that vacation home? Do you value these possessions more than you value other godly, you know, things probably isn't the right term, but or like, wh- where, where does your heart lie? Like, are you okay if you have to give up that vacation home? And if you are, then okay. And if you're not, well, then maybe you have to do a heart check, you know, so I guess that that's where I would kind of start to answer, answer that question. I think that's a fantastic answer because I think so often we look at the, the external, maybe legalistic black and white, like the action and um, instead of the heart. And I think God, like there's a lot of things that are maybe not good or bad, but the motive of our heart is what, is, is actually indicative of, of, I think maybe how God looks at it. So I think, you know, I know of people who have maybe a vacation home, but they also use it to bless pastors or missionaries who are on furlough and they allow them to stay at that vacation home or, or they still are using it in a way that blesses people or, um, but I also know, and I, I don't, I won't throw anyone else under the bus cause it's not mine to, I can't discern their motives, but I know there are times where I can even do the good, generous thing with a motive that wants to be seen as good and generous. It's, it's Jesus talks about in Matthew, I think it's uh, Matthew six um, about uh, giving to be seen and honored by others. Um, but when you give, you know, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Um, I, we can do sometimes the right thing with the, the wrong motives. And, and then sometimes we can do something that someone might condemn like, man, Jared just bought a, a a Mustang or a new Corvette to celebrate his debt-free life. And he should have gave that money to build wells in Africa. Um, but I don't, you know, maybe you did give, uh, maybe you are responding uh, to, to God's call to be generous in ways I don't know. And sometimes I think we can get into yeah. muddy water trying to discern everyone's, you know, motives and heart. I guess to, to, for me, simply what I, what I try to encourage and try to live by is um, I think it's okay to enjoy God's blessing, but I need to live with an open hand. Uh, Mm -hmm. Meaning um, it needs to be, it means a couple of things. One, an open hand of generosity. I need to be willing to give if I feel convicted or there's opportunity or I see a need and I can respond but also an open hand with my stuff. Like if God, if it seems that it's getting in the way of my devotion to God, I need to be willing to surrender it. So I think um, just a a posture of living with an an open hand, because as soon as our hands, you know, our fist starts to clench around our money and our stuff, I think we're, we're, that's where the whole love of money um, gets dangerous, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is kind of a churchy term, um, but it, it falls under kind of the category of generosity uh, in a way. Um, but what about tithing to the church? And um, I'm, I'm going to just, oh, could you maybe explain uh, your understanding of what is the tithe? The tithe, the word tithe is maybe a little, uh, a funny word for people. And is it important? Cause I mean, you know, if I were in debt, wouldn't it be better for me to divert all of my extra money towards debt elimination, not give the tithe to the church? Um, yeah. So 
talk about tithing. What what is tithing? Is it important? Should I tithe if I have debt? My my understanding of tithe growing up in in church was always, you know, it's a tenth, and you know, the the fiscal talents that I have, you know, two hands, two legs, a brain, fully functioning that God has given me and allows me to have every day. I, I use that to then earn a source of income, which again, I can only do that because he allows me to do that, which then like, you know, my hands are his, my brain is his. And so therefore, like the word says that, and again, I can't pull out a scripture exactly where it's at, but that we're supposed to give back a 10th, a tithe to him um, to further his kingdom. And that's kind of always been my understanding. And I've never just followed it blindly by any means, but I, I fully believe in that. I, I will admit changing churches over the past year, my wife and I, we, we have not been good at that at all. And that is something that we are, now that we've kind of found what we believe is more of a, a uh, sustainable place that we will consistently go. That's something that we need to get back into. Um, and we may not start out at 10% right away because we haven't been doing that for probably a little bit over a year, unfortunately. But working our way at, let's start at 5% and let's go to 7 and then 9 and then now we're at 10. So it is definitely important. It's one of those things that I, I, I feel I have felt. Um, uh, what's the, I'm trying to think of what the right term would be. Not guilty isn't the right the right word um, to use. Um, conviction, yeah, conviction. I have felt conviction. We both have about hey, we, we gotta get back into doing this. Um, and so again, like we're not perfect. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm the worst sinner that you'll ever meet, and I fully believe that. But it is definitely something that's very important, and that's also you know one of the things I appreciate about. And I'm not trying to plug Dave here, but you know he. He says that as well. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't agree with, oh, I'm going to put all my money towards debt instead of tithe. Like, eh, I, you should still tithe. I mean, that's, that's what the word calls us to do. So, I mean, it isn't ours, it's his. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right, the word tithe, it simply means 10th. And it's sort of the idea of, um, of giving back to, to God. But it's also, um, I think it's for, for me, it's become a personal discipline of reminding myself that it's not my money. It is God's already. And, and that 10th is a, an act of trust. Um, but it's also, I think when you are part of a church community and I want to be careful here, cause I don't want to communicate in any way the this like idea that being part of a church is like being part of a club and paying a membership mm-hmm. dues. It's not like that. Um, it, but but what it is like is this collective contribution to the community and to the ministries that the community is part of, but also the ministries that benefit my family. So um, when I go to church, I want the lights to be on and I want the in the winter, the heat to be on. Um, when I drop my kids off in the kids area, like I want all that stuff and all of that costs money. And it's it's part of how and I want there to be a, a, a kids pastor who's who's working and um so it's also part of this like collective contribution um, to the community you're a part of. Um, right now, currently, uh, my family uh, at the time of this recording we're in transition, so um, we are not tithing to a church right now. But we um, decided we're there's a couple other things we wanted to give 10% to um, before we're reconnected to a, a church. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to share this to be like braggy, um, but I, I'm sharing it because I believe these ministries matter. Actually, we're gonna give one month to um, Compassion International. Uh, mm-hmm. We're big fans of Compassion, and then I think uh, another World Hope um, International, the work they do with um, sex trafficking, and then uh, I've become a big fan of the Chosen TV series. It's um, this TV series. Okay. Uh, based on the life of Jesus and um, you can do this, pay it forward. So, um, nice. so yeah, anyways, I think, I believe tithing is important. And I would say, uh, I, I also hate to be, be want to be careful here because I think sometimes there can be this mentality of um, 
if I tithe, God will bless me. And if I don't, he won't. And I don't think that's true. At the same time, I think there are sort of these like uh, spiritual laws. So one of them I think is like about forgiveness. If I withhold forgiveness, I actually think that bitterness spoils in my own soul um, and, and causes problems. So similar. And I think that's just a spiritual law. There's just this, like, there's just the spiritual reality that unforgiveness is toxic. Well, Mm -hmm. similarly, I think there's almost the spiritual law that, um, generosity actually, uh, is, is just opens this gateway to blessing and, um, in ways and that ordering your priorities is really important. And prioritizing giving to God, I believe, is is significant. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think tithing is really important. And um, at the same time, uh, I would say uh, there's grace. Uh, you, you talked about you know you and Jody haven't been for a while, and this past year with the pandemic, it's been pretty pretty unusual year. So um, there's grace there. But I, I think uh, tithing is a way to rightly order our priorities. And when our priorities are rightly ordered, I do think it it allows us to be in a place to receive blessing. But it's not like a formula or like this, like, I don't know, magic, you know, do this and God blesses you. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Well, um, Jared, I have uh, just a, a few more questions here before we uh, before we wrap up. But um, are there are there any resources, books or I know I'm. Maybe it's because I'm older. I don't know. I'm not. I don't use very many apps other than the banks that I bank with. But um, I know there are like budgeting apps or even um, like investment mm. apps or whatever. Are are there any resources you would recommend for helping people steward money in a God honoring way? Yeah, uh, and I'm not trying to plug Dave Ramsey by any means. Um, so we use the Every Dollar app, which is part of his Ramsey solutions. It's there, it's free. They have a paid portion that they that they have add-ons for other things. Um, but you know, we use the Every Dollar app, which and there's a couple. Like there's like the I think Mint. There's the Mint app that you can use, and I think there's a handful of other ones that I've seen. And I just honestly, like, I just use the Every Dollar because it's his, and I like what he does. So that's pretty much the only reason why I I use that. Um, you know, it's just the basic functioning free version of it you you know budget out plan out where you're going to spend and you add a transaction you drag it to where you want to go but i know the free the paid version has other things that you can do to help you with other financial goals and then you know for some books uh which again you know dave ramsey's total money makeover i've read um which you know again is really good and then his daughter rachel cruz has a book called love your life not theirs um, which is all for the most part is a lot about contentment, which, you know, was really good for me at that time that I was in of just be content where you're at. And so that, that was a good book, a good book. Um, I know they have a couple other ones. They have a one that is, um, not for kids, but it's for, for people that have, that have kids, um, smart money, smart kids. Um, Joey and I are going to read that here in the next year or two so that we can um, best come up with a plan of how to raise Parker in a home and and how to raise her to manage money wisely. And so um, I've heard a lot of really great things about it. I've never read it, but I guess those would be the books that I would point somebody towards. Um, I know that there's some blogs out there too. Uh Millennial Money Man was a blog a couple years ago. I think that's still a thing. There's one that's called Making Sense of Sense. Um, that's another like finance finance blog. There's a a hint uh, a large number of other uh, personal finance blogs that a couple years ago I just kind of checked out. Just uh, you know, a couple weeks on the internet, and there was a lot of good stuff on there that um, you get somebody else's idea, but it's kind of in the same realm of kind of what Dave Ramsey says, but you know, whatever. So I think if you just do those, if you don't think, yeah, I don't like Dave Ramsey, well, that's fine. You know, Google uh, personal finance blogs and, 
and you can find a lot of good content out there on on how to manage money and I'm sure there's blogs that have reviews on apps and books, podcasts about managing money and other items. So, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's for the most part what I would, what I would recommend. Um, I think if you have kids, um, Anthony O'Neill has a book called debt free degree. It's, it's pretty small. It's a pretty quick read. It's just sort of a, a guide to how to go to college or how to get a degree without any debt. And so I, I read, I, uh, I didn't read the whole thing. Um, I read most of it and, um, that, that was a good little short, quick read. There's also a podcast called Borrowed Future done by Dave Ramsey and uh, his crew, just about the student loan crisis and, you know, how you can go to college debt-free and other things. So those would be my recommendations. Awesome. Um, I think, uh, I think I would recommend and you would as well, the, if there is um, a church or uh, organization or um, I don't know, even like a, a college that you can take the the FPU course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it does cost money. I don't remember how much. Um, I think it's like a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, I, I know some right. churches, some churches do scholarships or, yep. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying do this, but I've, I've heard people call on Dave's show and, you know, he'll give, he'll give like a, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to pay for you to go to financial peace university, stay on the line. So, but yeah, yeah. I think it's like a hundred bucks and I'm sure a lot of churches probably, you know, have a scholarship, like I said, or, you know, payment plan or something along those lines. Yeah. And I think you can go to the website um, or even Google financial peace and um, they have like uh, a map or something you probably put in your yeah. zip code and see where there's a, a course near you. Yeah. And, um Again, I don't, I don't agree with everything Dave Ramsey says, and I don't mm-hmm. uh, follow him as closely as you do, but Emily and I took a personal family finance course in college when we were engaged and it was an elective and we got, you know, we got credit for it. Um, and part of the course was uh, Dave, the Dave Ramsey material. And uh, it was very, I think, instrumental in helping us be on the same page financially and giving us the language for our marriage to talk about money and and to be able to have that common language together. And so um, I, and, and yeah, the baby steps, the, the emergency fund, like I already said, was, was huge for us ever since we've been married Um, staying away from debt, except for our student loans and right now mortgage, like all of that stuff was really influenced by taking the Dave Ramsey financial peace course. So um, I would recommend I'd recommend that. Um, yeah, that's, Jared? that's kind of the, that's kind of the great thing too. Like you don't, you know, we have this thing in our culture now that if you disagree with somebody, then you can't like them, or you, it's either you agree with everything, or you don't agree with everything. And you know, I don't agree with everything one million percent. You know that that Dave says, or do, nor do I follow everything to an exact T um, that he says. So yeah, you don't have to, you know, agree with everything that he says to follow some of the things that he says or, or to, you know, um, have financial freedom by any means. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I've, I've found that I can actually believe it or not, I can actually learn from people I disagree with. <laughs> like I can yeah. still learn, right. I can still learn something from them. Uh, just because I don't agree with them on one point doesn't make them a complete idiot. <laughs> so right, exactly. um, they, they might have something to offer, but, um, but yeah. Uh, well, thank you. And I think, uh, I just want to reiterate that part of, part of, um, part of the motive for, I think the Jesus follower is, is, uh, to not, um, in a sense, not covet a lot of, not always, but a lot of reason people find themselves in debt is that they have desired something that is beyond their means and, uh, and they went into debt to get it. And, and sometimes that is birthed out of something in our hearts that is, is not God honoring. Sometimes it's covetousness or discontentment or materialism, greed, whatever. Um, so I think part of it is 
so so part of the focus in talking about this today was was to just reiterate or share that how we look at money and the place it has in our hearts is really important and 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 how we manage and approach debt but also that when we are free from all that debt uh, we can be generous and and be a positive impact in the world and um, that can honor god but yeah well jared it's been good uh thank you so much for joining us thank you for your thoughts do you have any uh do you want to any last words uh before we wrap up here no, I mean, thanks for having me. I, I love, I love podcasts. I, I, uh, listen to the office ladies quite a bit. So, and you know, like I, I told you before we started recording our, uh, my, one of my classes, we just got done creating a podcast. And so I, I, I love those types of things. So when, you, when, uh, when you texted me about it, it's like, yeah, man, I'm all on board. I think this stuff's awesome. So yeah, I, I think what you're doing is great. And, and hopefully at least one person, you know, learns something from this or, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us and thanks for listening. Remember, uh, like and share uh, and subscribe um, and even rate it on Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening. And each of those things can actually help increase our listener base. So thank you for joining us.